Who is wise? The one who learns from others. Welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. This is a podcast where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond small talk and social media posts we're bombarded with on a daily basis. Join me on a journey where I speak to people from all backgrounds with different perspectives, each sharing their stories, struggles, and successes. Be a part of a community where you connect to something greater than yourself. I'm your host, Karen Corian, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Sexual abuse, debilitating pain, numbing. These are just some of the things our next guest will be sharing on the podcast today. Rachel Cohen is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Rachel is sharing her story for the first time on audio on Soul Sessions with KK. It was not easy for Rachel to speak about this, nor was it easy for me to listen to it. If you have been sexually abused, this show may be triggering for you. So listener discretion is advised. Rachel's childhood was taken away from her when she was sexually abused at the ripe age of six years old. She tells us how it all started and how it affected her as a child, teenager, and adult. She talks to me about how she dealt with her trauma and how she healed. Her hope is to raise awareness for childhood sexual abuse and to show that it's more common than we think. She also wants to help prevent this from happening to any child again. This show is a must listen. It is a very important show and I hope that you take the time to listen to this and Rachel is here for you to answer any questions you may have. So please enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Thank you. Without further ado, I introduce to you Rachel Cohen. Hi, everybody. Today I have the honor of having Rachel Dar Cohen on the show. She is sharing her story for the first time on a podcast and Her story is remarkable. She currently has a blog where she writes about various issues in the Jewish community, specifically endometriosis and sexual abuse. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. So excited to be here. I'm excited as well. So Rachel, tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Rachel Cohen. Um, I live on Long Island. I'm a mom to two kids, just like you said, and I have a very adorable puppy who's like the light of my life. Um, I'm a special ed teacher and I really, really love what I do. Um, When I'm not doing that, I'm writing for my blog, just like Karen said. Um, I really discuss issues um, that people find difficult to talk about. So infertility, eating disorder, sexual abuse, Um, And when I'm not doing that, I advocate for women who suffer from endometriosis. It's a big passion of mine. Yes, that's a very big passion of yours. I've read your article and I was blown away. I actually brought me to tears. Rachel, what propels you to start this blog? So my writings have been like all over the place on the internet. They've been on like online Um, magazines and they've been on different blogs and different websites and I really just wanted them to have a home first of all and I felt like I had so much that I wanted to say and I wanted to share with people and I you know the best way to do it is just to set you center it all in one place and let people know about it so I can share my thoughts my feelings um, and I can help other people deal with things that I've been through. Yes so obviously you write about things that you personally went through yourself You are a survivor of sexual abuse. I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer before we start. If this is triggering for anyone who's listening, you can take a pause. You don't have to listen to it right away. But whatever Rachel has to say is very important. And you can prevent this from happening to other people. So Rachel, can you share your story of what happened to you? Yes. Uh, So when I was six years old, 
I was sexually abused by an adult who was not related to me. Um, and he had, he did it for about a year, a little over a year, started to touch me and molest me. Um, he would bring me flowers. He brought me chocolate and candy. He would tell me how special I was. Now, after many years of therapy and learning about sexual abuse, I know that he was doing something called grooming. Um, he was trying to establish a trusting relationship with me. But back then, all I knew was that he was a man I was told I could trust. And he was bringing me awesome things and he was paying attention to me. Right. I felt so comfortable with him that literally when the, when the touching became something more than touching, I didn't even give it a second thought. It, it wasn't something that I thought about. I was just like, it oh, felt like normal. it was natural. Yeah, it felt natural. Like it, if he's somebody that I can trust and he's telling me that I can trust him, it must be that these are things you do with people that you trust. Mm -hmm. And where, where was he able to do this? I mean, how were you able to be alone with an adult male? So it's a little tricky here. Um, I need to be careful what I say. Um, just because it pertains to an institution. Um, so suffice to say that uh, there was a way for us to, to be it. together and alone. Got it. Sorry. And no, it's fine. When you say grooming, can you just describe what that means a little bit to someone who doesn't understand what that means? Sure. So it's basically um, before somebody, um, when somebody has their eye, on somebody who they want to manipulate in some way, they try to establish a trusting relationship with, with the person. They try to get them to feel comfortable with them, to trust them, to like them. Um, and by doing that, when the time comes that they decide to do things that most people would not be comfortable with, the person is already so comfortable, the child is already so comfortable with that person, just like I said, that it doesn't bother them. So grooming is just a, a way to manipulate the child uh, to get them to trust the abuser. Okay, so when did the grooming turn into more than grooming and turn to inappropriate touch? I don't remember a specific like moment when it happened. Um, I remember that there was one day, um, it's a very, it's a very interesting memory for me. When I first remembered it, um, I had been in the girl's bathroom and I had, a, I was holding a snow globe. And the next thing I remember is that I was standing back in the girl's bathroom with a shattered snow globe and I had blood all over my hands. And um, that's really all I remember from the first time that it was actually something more. Wow. Um, but I don't remember the exact moment that it happened. And my yeah. mind just went from one to the other. And it didn't stop, by the way. It wasn't like the grooming or, or the flowers and the candy stopped when he started touching me. It continued. And that is the manipulation. That's the disgusting, insidious way that he was able to control me. Yeah, and confuse you. I confuse. Oh, it was so confusing. Yeah, you know, I remember reading your blog when you were sexually abused by this adult, and you speak about the dichotomy of feelings mm -hmm. and how the pleasure you felt was mixed with pain. Exactly. Uh, can you explain that a little bit further? Like, when did you realize that? the pleasure was also painful? So I would say that initially, and for most of the time, my six-year-old's brain didn't have the capacity to even understand evil. I mean, when you're six, life, for the most part, for most people, is bubbly, it's happy, it's innocent. I, I had my six-year-old intuition. I had my six-year-old feelings. There was nothing that said, hmm, maybe something's wrong with this. I didn't understand. Um, when somebody you trust is giving you flowers and they're giving you chocolate and making you feel good and making your body feel good, it's hard to know that all the goodness is actually bad. 
really, it took a very long time. And I don't know that I actually processed it to the point where I knew something was wrong consciously. Mm-hmm. Um, there was definitely a subconscious level that I understood what was going on. And I, I know that because my brain was actually protecting me by giving me, um, giving me this coping mechanism where I basically dissociated. It's a very typical thing that happens to people who are dealing with something very traumatic. And um, I would, my brain and I, you know, my mind, my conscious mind would leave my body basically. And I would imagine myself not being there, but being floating above and watching it happen to me. So it was almost like some, it was happening to somebody else. This but was your coping mechanism. This was my co- one of my coping mes- mechanisms, yes. Um, but if you had asked me straight out if I was unhappy with what was going on, I wouldn't have said yes. It was like this confusion between my brain and my heart and, and then add in everything else, the manipulation and the grooming and, you know, the dissociation and, and you just, it's, you know. Yeah. It's beyond your thoughts. Did you ever tell another adult? I didn't. Why do you think you didn't at that time? Well, what he used to say to me was, you know, we have fun together, right? We, We do fun things. I make you feel good. I give you presents. You don't need to tell anybody else. This will be our secret. Mm hmm. Um. I trusted him. And sometimes when I, when I say those words, I feel like a twinge in my stomach because I feel like how in the world did I allow myself to trust him? And then I have to remind myself all over again that I was six and then not that, but nobody else knew about it. He managed to make it that my parents didn't know, my teachers didn't know, my doctor didn't know. I told not a soul. And in fact, I didn't even tell myself, which sounds strange. Mm -hmm. But I, the abuse was excuse me, so intense that I couldn't consciously process what was going on. And I, in order to protect myself, I pushed all the thoughts and all the memories down so far that I didn't remember anything that had happened until I was 19. And I had, I was newly married. I had, uh, you know, my husband was hugging me or you know, touching me even on my arm. And I had my first flashback. And that was the first time I remembered what was going on. So you're telling me that you forgot, you kind of put it, you shelved it in the library. Exactly. After this happened, you forgot about it in your Mm -hmm. subconscious. And then at 19 years old, when you got married and you had your first touch, that is when you remembered everything. It brought pieces of it back. It was my first flashback. I would go on to have many, many more flashbacks, flashbacks. And um, it really, it just caused like a flood of painful memories to like get into my brain. And um, it took a really long time to actually pay attention to those memories and to say like, oh, maybe this is something that I need to focus on or work through and then it took a while to believe that they actually happened because I couldn't I couldn't believe myself I kept saying why in the world would I like why would I forget it for so long how would I not remember it must be that I'm making it all up and it took so I can't even tell you it took years for me to believe that it actually happened and it was you know, in one sense, it was a bracha to find out that it actually happened, you know, to allow myself to, to acknowledge it. Yeah. But at the same time, that's when all the pain started. Hmm. Because then it was like, then all the guilt comes in and the shame comes in. When you realize that something really did happen, it's, it's like you experience it all over again. And how was that for you to experience it all over again? I mean, I would say it was re-traumatizing. Yeah. Um, I began to dissociate again. I, um, I really just, I shut down in many ways. I stopped feeling, I stopped enjoying life. Um, I was incredibly depressed, incredibly anxious. Um, 
And I felt angry at my husband's a lot, even though he did nothing because right. he was a male. And um, it was like I was six years old all over again. And there was a male there who I was worried was going to take advantage of me. I'm wondering if, uh, if you shut that part of your life forever and you just <laughs> shut it and you threw it far, far away. Do you think you wouldn't have experienced the pain or would it have come back anyway when your husband was with you? That's a great question. Um, despite the fact that I didn't remember everything that was going on throughout my years of elementary school, junior high, high school, um, I my body had the symptoms like for example, I stopped eating hmm. and I was anorexic for a long time. Um, I was incredibly hypervigilant. I was afraid of everything. Um, there were a lot of different signs that my body knew what was going on even when my mind didn't. So it, it was to the point where when I told my therapist that I'd been within high school, I said to her once I was you know 19 and I started having these flashbacks, I said, I think I was molested or I, I think that I was abused. And she said, Rachel, I had a feeling you were abused since we started working together because all, all of the things that you, all of the ways you act, that you've been acting, the depression, the anxiety, the eating disorder, it's all, it's all signs of somebody who was abused. She was like, it's not, it's not surprised to me. So I think that really, no matter how hard I would try to, you know, how, how far I would try to throw it and how deep I would try to bury it. Fight it, right. Yeah, it was there. And the, the healthiest thing to do is to bring it up and to process it. Because yeah. I've learned also when you have secrets and you keep them very far down, it makes, it gives you shame. Yeah. And it gives you guilt. And it's just the cycle of constant shame and guilt and pushing things down and be, feeling guilty that you're pushing it down. You need to work through things. Mm -hmm. Very important. So you write about going from a place of suppressing and numbing and also being far away from it, kind of like looking down. Yeah, it was like you're not really there. You're you've escaped your body in a sense. Right. And then you discuss about feeling all your emotions, even though it was super, super painful. Right. But you've mentioned that feeling all your emotions was healing and it was very therapeutic for you. What did it take to get to the place from numbing? to feeling you have really good questions great question um thank you there were definitely um after years and years of of the suppression the dissociation and and trying to escape life as a whole um i stopped you're right like i like i said i stopped feeling everything and anything so i stopped feeling the bad but i also stopped feeling the good I missed out on amazing experiences because I couldn't feel what was going on. So let's say my husband and my kids are like on the floor wrestling, laughing hysterically, and I'm on the couch sleeping, which was a big defense mechanism for me, a big coping strategy for me to numb myself was to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, I missed out on so much. And eventually I came to realize that if I wanted to feel I needed to, I needed to work very hard on it and harder than I had worked already. So my husband and I decided that I was going to go away to a trauma center, mm -hmm. um, which I did two years ago. I went to a place called The Refuge in Florida. I've and heard of it. It was yeah. there that I realized what I had been missing. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing place. And I would recommend it to anybody with, with PTSD, complex, complex PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was there, I would say the first two weeks that I was there, um, I didn't feel. And we were processing deep, traumatic things and I couldn't cry. I couldn't cry, I couldn't laugh, I couldn't do anything. And then there was one 
group therapy session where somebody said something, I don't even remember what it was. And we just started laughing and like the laughter turned into hysterics. And then I was crying and I just couldn't stop. And I think it was really at that moment when I realized how much I was missing by not allowing myself to feel. And, and I recognized the fact that if I wanted to feel the good, I had to sit with the bad. So I started allowing myself like small moments of feeling, allowing myself to, um, to feel an emotion for a certain amount of time. And then I would go back to numbing. It was like, I would say, okay, for this half an hour, we're gonna try to feel as much as possible. Whatever, whatever feeling we feel, we're gonna try to focus on it. And then you can go back to numbing because I couldn't handle it for long periods of time. And I started practicing mindfulness, um, really learning to be in the moment. And I started working really hard with my therapist on just sitting with the uncomfortable feelings and sitting with uncomfortable situations and just allowing them to be. Because we really, we have to sit with our emotions. I once heard this amazing term recently, actually, um, from, from an Instagram person named Body with Brie. And she says, you have to sit with the suck. Sit with the suck. Sit with the suck. And I thought it was, it was such a great, it was such a great idea that that's what you have to do. If you want to feel, and if you want that, um, that privilege of feeling, which mm -hmm. is really, I've learned a privilege, you need to feel everything and you need to sit with your emotions, no matter what they feel like. That's beautiful. Rachel, I want, I'm interested to know, um, because you speak about PTSD. Mm -hmm and that you went to this trauma center. How long were you in this trauma center for? I was there for five weeks. For five weeks. So mm -hmm. what, why couldn't therapy help you if you went to therapy, let's say once or twice a week? Why, why did you need to go to a trauma center for you to be healed? So um, I'm definitely like, I would not knock regular therapy at all. I made tremendous progress over at least 10 years of therapy, um, individualized therapy. So it's not that it didn't help, it helped tremendously. But, and I say this a lot, healing isn't linear. It's not like you feel better and you continue to feel better and you're always feeling better and magically your life is just wonderful. Um, it goes up, to, up and down. And while I was working through therapy, individualized therapy, I should say, um, I would go back and forth from feeling really good to really horrible. You know, sometimes I would have tons of energy and other times I couldn't get out of bed. And um, it got to the point, which we just talked about, where I just, I wasn't present anymore. And I was depressed and anxious more than I wasn't. Um, and I, I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't functioning. When I went to the refuge, they were able to take, first of all, I was able to go leave my family, which I mean, and I love my family, but the pressures of everyday life and taking care of them were, I mean, it was so that yeah. I really, really couldn't focus on myself all the time. I could focus for that hour in therapy, but then I leave and I'm back in the real world and it makes it very hard um, to, to deal with, to deal with what, you, you know, these very intense feelings, emotions, um, you know, the trauma. Um, also this place, it gave me, um, it really took care of my emotional needs along with the physical. First of all, the physical, I didn't have to think about any physical. They fed me that, you know, I didn't have to clean nothing. Um, and it also took care of my emotional ones by providing different therapies. So, um, there were therapies like art therapy. There was equine therapy for horses, um, music therapy, I mean, there was everything. Um, there was like a ropes course. There was a, you know, a mindfulness trail, um, a meditation trail. And um, so that in, a, in and of itself was, was healing. Um, and really, I have to say the best part about it, and this is the key to why I think individualized therapy couldn't help me fully. Um, it brought me together with people who, had similar traumas and who understand what I was going through. Mm -hmm. I felt for the first time safe that I could share anything and I would be loved and unconditionally supported. 
And um, I would say that's really the, the difference between the two. Therapy, individualized therapy is super important, brought me to you know, places that I never thought I would be able to go to um, after the trauma. Um, but being at the refuge, um, knowing that I wasn't alone was everything. Yeah. And I feel like in a sense, it helps you in a way regain your childhood from what I'm seeing. Sure. That's right. Yes. It taught me to, um, we speak a lot about inner child work. Yeah. And it taught me to take care of my inner child. Um, yeah, somebody was taking care of my physical needs. That was, you know, so I didn't, I didn't need to be a mom. I could be that child again. I could be, um, I could just, I could take care of myself again. And yet I, it was scary to be that child again, yeah. but it was also very cathartic. For sure. Besides, you know, learning to sit with the suck, as you said, are there other ways that people can heal from sexual abuse? Um, yes, there are definitely, um, ways that people can, can work through their abuse. Um, but it's very personalized and I think it's very different for everybody. So for me, it was, you know, the, the inner child work, which we just spoke about. And it was, you know, learning to feel again for other people and, and knowing that there were people who who were with me, who understood what I was going through. For other people, it might be, um, you know, going up against their abuser. It might be bringing them, you know, bringing them to to justice. Mm -hmm. It might be imagining, you know, for them, it might be doing doing imagination work where they're imagining a support, you know, support system inside of them or doing imagery. There are so many different ways um, through therapy that somebody could, yeah. Through. Right. Yeah. Rachel, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> um, what would you tell your abuser today? I've thought a lot about this. Um, and I think through the years, as I healed, there were different things that I wanted to say. Um, but it's pretty simple at this point. I want to let him know that he didn't win, that he can't control me anymore. Because he tried to manipulate my body and my mind. He tried to own them. And I'm taking them back. I had them back along with my sexuality. So I won. Yeah. Baruch Hashem. You won, girl. I did. And I believe that you're winning now by advocating by writing about it, by speaking about it, by coming on podcasts and by being open and sharing your struggles of what you went through and helping other people. Right, because everybody deserves to know that they're not alone. They're not alone. And unfortunately, it's horrible to say this, but it's more common than we think. It's very true. And um, you know, this is, that's one of the reasons why I decided to speak publicly about this is because specifically in the orthodox community unfortunately people don't like to talk about it they don't nope. like to bring it to light they like to you know brush it under the rug and right. doesn't happen in our shul doesn't right. happen in my community exactly. we have not in my family we have yichud we have kolishansnias it doesn't happen here you know right and, and for sure if it does don't say anything because you might not get a shidduch you know, exactly. so don't talk about it. And, it, you know, we suffer, those who, of us who have been through it suffer because of that. And unfortunately, the people, the victims are the ones who are shamed while the abusers are set free, continuing to teach in schools, continuing to go along their daily life because, you know, they're either rabbis or teachers or very important people. Right. And that's why people don't want to talk about it because they are more concerned about protecting someone's reputation. That's right. And their family 
their family's reputation than protecting this from happening for, to other people. 100%, 100%. And it might look really good for the community, but when you peel back those layers and you open the curtain and you see that all, all of the people that are suffering and, and feeling isolated and invalidated, you know, you wonder what, why? Like, why is it that, that they feel the need to look good on the outside instead of taking care of the people who are truly, truly suffering? Um, I, there was a point where I just had to like, I had to like cover my ears when I heard of these situations with Rebeam and, you know, people in power because it would make my blood boil. And sometimes it really, it, it brought things back. Yeah. You know, it, I would get furious or I would cry or I would be depressed for days. I needed to just say like, I can't hear this anymore because it's so sad. But at this point in time, now I'm saying it's so sad, but I have to listen because I have to change the conversation. Thank you. You know, if this is hard for me, I'm literally, as we're talking, I wasn't saying this to you before, but by you sharing your story, this is, this is also difficult for me to listen to, you know, it's, it's affecting my body. This is, this is very tough, very tough to listen to. So I can't imagine if this is tough for me and it never happened to me, how much more for you and other people who have unfortunately been abused. Thank you. And I appreciate you saying that because um, one of the things that we deal with the most is invalidation i would say and and people really uh not giving us not giving us the attention that not the attention we need but not giving the issue the attention it deserves and and for you to say you know it's it must be so hard for you that's a way of making it feel making my feelings feel valid and making other people who have been sexually abused feel valid their feelings feel valid yeah. as well and it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to sit with the pain and talk about things that suck. Yeah, yes, it's necessary. Yeah, Rachel, I wanna know in your opinion, what are some ways that parents and educators, community members, they can protect their children from sexual abuse? I would say, Baruch Hashem, we're so much more ahead of the game than we used to be in terms of being aware that we need to protect ourselves. Yes, we're pretty far back from where we should be, but these days, you know, we talk with kids and we, and we know to give them the correct language for their body parts. We teach them about who can see and touch their bodies. We teach them about personal space. We teach them about consent. Um, and that's wonderful. There's one thing I feel is so important that people don't talk about as often, um, the idea of empowering our kids to trust themselves and to trust their intuition in all aspects of their lives. Whether it's being hungry, being thirsty, being tired, not to say to them, oh no, you know, you're still hungry, eat, finish that plate. Or, you know, of course you're tired, you need to go to sleep now, but really, paying attention when they're talking about their thoughts, their feelings, how their body feels, show them that we take them seriously and, and, and validate them. Because if God forbid a time comes when somebody is making them feel wrong or icky, they can say to themselves, hey, you know, something doesn't feel right. And I know that I can trust my feelings. So I better go get somebody who can help me. Or even better before the abuse happens for them to say, this person, you know, is, is seeming like he's a nice person, but he's not. I think I better trust my gut and tell somebody about it before something happens. Right. So I did hear that there's a distinction between telling your kid about what is good touch and bad touch mm -hmm. versus telling them what's safe touch and what's unsafe touch. Yes. Whereas in the past, I would say, oh, like this is a good touch and that's a bad touch. But I learned, you know, over the years that that's actually incorrect. Right, that's very important, that distinction. Right, so how does one teach a child that let's say like a tickle, a tickle on the arm, for mm -hmm. example, 
right? It could feel like it's a good touch, but it's not a safe touch. So the way you do that is by saying whatever feels wrong to you, whatever feels icky to you, feels uncomfortable to you, feels weird to you, that's not a safe touch. So tickling or stroking might be might be something that feels good and for one person might be something for one child that might be something that they enjoy or that yeah so how do they distinguish that if it's you know like if it's not from their mommy or right so if they it doesn't have to be an inappropriate touch It it could just be if they feel like it doesn't feel good in some way. Maybe it's a sensory thing. Maybe it's inappropriate touch. But either way, if they feel like aching in some way, uncomfortable in some way, or just- Something's off. Yeah, that's not safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not about what feels good, like you said. It's not about good and bad, but it's also what can be safe for one person is not necessarily safe for another person. Right, because if you say good touch and bad touch, a bad touch is obviously, oh, someone hit me, right. someone kicked me, exactly. someone bit me, that's bad. But if someone kisses me on the cheek or the neck or wherever, though, that a kiss is good. Right. So that's the wrong way to do it. Right, exactly. I love what you said about empowering our kids to trust their intuition and not, not speak for them, meaning let them trust their own gut mm-hmm. and not you dictate what they should be feeling that's right it's so important it's important in everyday life to do that but right you know and just like i said eating drinking sleeping like you know anything the the amount of 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 exercise they feel like they need to get like it's not that you can't tell them what you know obviously as parents we need to help guide them to do the right things but um we need to really, yeah, like I said, we just, we need to let them make mistakes. We need to, you know, and, and aside from that, we need to let them um, feel their feelings and, yeah. and learn to trust them. Yeah. It reminds me of when a child hurts themselves. I see this all the time in the park mm-hmm. when a child hurts themselves, the parent rushes and like, they sensing they're about to cry. And before anything, the parents like, you're okay, you're okay. Everything's okay. Right. You know, let the child feel whatever they need to feel. Right. I hate let that. them say it's okay. Right. And if it's not okay, then say, okay, you know, it's not okay. Validate that feeling too, because whatever they're feeling is valid. Yeah. So it's yeah. like in a sense, like adults are afraid of discomfort, Mm-hmm. Big time. and all these negative feelings yeah it's like they're shutting down their own inner child in a way right exactly and then we teach our kids the same thing we teach them that you know a little bit of discomfort is scary is bad. yeah or bad and um and then we don't push ourselves and then we don't try things because we might be uncomfortable and then when we teach that to their our kids like you're okay you're okay uh don't trust your feelings everything's fine then in a sense, we are preventing our children from opening up to us when something is off because- Very, very important thing to say, yes. And and then if they might not come back to us then, if we, you know, if a parent poo-poo's something that happened to a child or if, uh, you know, a child comes to their parents and says, this person touched me or, or, you know, even worse that something, you know, really bad is happening. And the parent says, I'm, I'm sure everything's fine. Oh, this person, he, he's such an important person. He's such a, you know, he would never do something like that. Um, the child is not going to come back to us. If yeah. something else like that ha- happens like that, they're going to say, what's the point? Nobody's going to listen to me anyway. Right. And that's dangerous. It's very dangerous. So thank you for sharing that. That's actually very important. Sure. Okay, so you spoke about what parents could do in order to protect their children from sexual abuse. You spoke about using correct language and correct body parts, consent, Mm -hmm. and empowering our kids to trust themselves. What about if, God forbid, a child is abused, okay? 
their child is sexually abused, how can a parent help their child who comes to them and tells them, I was, someone touched me inappropriately. Someone told me a secret. So I think um, exactly what we just touched on, the most important thing is um, no matter how silly or unbelievable it sounds, you believe them. That's the first step. You believe them, you validate them, you let them know that you're there for them and that you're, you're a safe person for them to talk to, that you will help them. That is number one. And then throughout um, finding real help for them and throughout um, the child working through the trauma, the parent has to be there supporting them and again letting them know and I, I sound like a broken record but like letting them know that every single thing they feel is valid that's mm -hmm. all like it's not obviously that's not all there's so much more you know god forbid a parent should have a child to god forbid right you no know, something happened to them but it, that's the most important thing no question right did you ever speak with your children about what you went through? So it's, it's funny you should ask. Um, I, I hadn't until this past week huh. um, where I actually, I brought it up to my 13 year old daughter. Um, it was not the best time to do it. I have to be honest, we were in the car, uh, which is sometimes a good time because you're looking straight ahead and the child doesn't have to look at you. Right. Um, but you know to have a good important conversation but in this case she was about to be dropped off at school um and it just kind of came out in the conversation and um she was pretty surprised which is understandable obviously um but she was more surprised that i hadn't told her before mm. she was like why why didn't you tell me already like why haven't you told me about this and i told her that I didn't, you know, I needed to know that she was ready to hear something like that because it's not an easy thing to hear that anybody no. went through something like this and uh, your parents going through something like this. Um, I mean, I can't imagine what it must feel like, you know, and what it must, what you must be thinking, what must go through your mind when you, you know, when some, when you find out something like that happens to your parent. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and then she went to school and we didn't even finish the conversation. But later I told her that if she had any questions, she wanted to talk about any of it, she could always come to me to talk about it. So that was basically it. Um, and hopefully she'll come back to me at some point if she feels like she has something she wants to say. Well, I applaud your courage and Thank you. your proactiveness of approaching your daughter and you know having this conversation with her. It's very difficult. I know every time I have to bring up, you know, this subject with my kids, and I know I have to do it on a more regular basis, that it's not just like a once. Absolutely. Yeah. Once in a lifetime conversation. This is something that you have to talk about constantly with your kids. Right. right. You know, there's a, there's somebody who I, who I trust very, very much. And I admire her, the way she speaks and what she says. And she, she always says that you have to talk to your children about this until they roll their eyes hmm. at you when you bring it up and then you talk about it more. That's what she says. You, you, it must be a constant conversation. So thank you for reminding us, including myself, to have this conversation, even if they roll their eyes, even if they'd be like, ew, mommy, like what? Right. Yeah. And alongside talking to our kids about uh, sexual abuse, and child molestation and all of that, it's also equally important to talk to them about healthy sexuality, Absolutely. about your body and what feels good, mm -hmm. um, about yeah. sex. Yeah, and to not make them feel like it's gross. Yes. Or, or something that we don't wanna talk about or not sneeze. That's a big one. I that it's a big pet peeve of mine when I hear that it's not sneeze, mm -hmm. you know, to to show your body, to touch your body. I'm saying at home or whatever. We need to be proud of our body, to be amazed at it. We don't want to be embarrassed of it or ashamed of it. 
I mean, that in itself causes trauma. Of course, of course. And then when it was when it's time for a girl to get married, she doesn't know how her body can be used for pleasure. 100%. She has no idea about what her pleasure points are. She thinks her body is just to be covered and it shouldn't be for anything else. And it affects, it affects young girls for sure, especially when they grow up. Definitely. Definitely. And it comes to show, even with what we're talking about with what happened with you, that what happens in childhood shouldn't be taken for granted. You know, the little things, the quote unquote, little things are actually the big things. Sure. And they affect you. They don't just affect you when you're a little kid. They don't just affect you when you're a teenager. They affect you for life. Right. And it's the reason why so many adults are battling, like you said, like depression and anxiety, eating disorders, body image issues. Yes. Yes. Because I mean, when yeah. we're younger, comes yeah. back, you know, stays with us throughout the years, just like you said. And that's why it's so important to work on our inner child like you said, and that you are healing your inner child in the mm -hmm. trauma center. Right? Yeah. yeah, definitely. Wow. Um, Raquel, what do you want to say to survivors of sexual abuse? What do you want them to know? There are two things that I would say are most important for me to give over and, um, and really the basic reasons why I share my story. Um, I want them to know that they're not alone, first of all, that so many people have gone through it and it's okay. They do not need to be ashamed about what happens. It's okay if they do feel ashamed because again, those are that is a very valid way to feel, but they don't need to be if they don't, you know, Sorry, that sounded a little weird, but no. they, they don't need to be because so many people have gone through this. And the second thing, most, most important thing is that it isn't their fault. Um, you know, they're, like people didn't, you know, friends that I'd spoken to who I told, who knew about what happened, um, close friends who I would say, you know, I still feel guilty about it, or I feel like it's my fault. They would say, I don't understand. Like, you know, it's not like, it's not your fault. Like, you know, this guy, like he made you do things or he did things to you. Like, how could it be your fault? And I would say my head understands that, but my heart doesn't. I can't, my heart can't grasp the fact that I didn't do anything wrong. And it took a very, very long time. And I'm still not there yet Yeah. to, to fully understand that I didn't do anything wrong. I'm, I'm not there yet because I still, there are times where I feel guilty about it still. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just, I want anybody who's listening who has been through this or anything similar, it's not your fault. You could have asked for it. You could have enjoyed it. You could have kept this person's secret. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Thank you for sharing that powerful message. Sure. Unfortunately, when bad things happen like this to a child, a teenager, adolescent, even a young adult woman, whether it's being sexually abused, sexually harassed, raped, mm -hmm. somehow a woman thinks it's her fault. She did something to deserve it. She did something to instigate it. That's right. Because that's Whether, what we've been told. That's, that's what, what we've been told. Our it's really unfortunate. But um, you're here to change that. I definitely am. Um, you know, there are so many ways that, that people can tell us that we were asking for it or we dressed a certain way or we were drunk. I mean, we were drunk or we, you know, you acted a certain way. How could you, how could you, you were a bad kid and you are a bad kid. Right. You, you know, for me, it was, was I, he made me touch him. I was an active participant in it. 
there are so many ways that we can convince people that it's their fault, but it's not. Bottom line. Beautiful message. Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for being here. I know it was not easy to talk about this subject matter, especially because it's so personal to you. Do you have a takeaway you wish to leave our listeners with? Trust yourself. Love that. I think that would be, that would be the one thing I would want you to take away from this. Beautiful. Rachel, where can people find you if they want to ask you more questions or connect with you or, you know, just get help in this area? I have, like we spoke about before, I have a blog. Um, It's called Midnight Musings. Um, I also have um, an email address. It's ownyourendo, Mm -hmm. O-W-N-Y-O-U-R-E-N-D-O at gmail.com. And I'm happy to talk to anybody who wants to talk to me. Yes. So we didn't even cover that aspect on this show because there was a lot. Too much to talk about here. A lot to talk about. But, you know, maybe we can talk about that on another show or wherever. But yes, if you are currently battling with endometriosis, Rachel is the person to talk to. She's a huge advocate for it, for endometriosis awareness. So you can talk to her about that. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. And thank you, Karen. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and feel free to reach out with feedback and questions. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk and check out the link in my bio. Let's connect.